afternoon, my renegades. Welcome back to Rogue Radio. My name is Sarah Jane. I know it's been a while. Um, my, well, it hasn't been a while, but listen, I'm sorry for not uploading as much. Um, it's just been a very busy life lately, and that's okay. I told you I wasn't going to abandon my listeners, so I'm still here. Um, today we're going to do Rogue News, so let's just jump in the trenches, shall we? If you have it, um, okay, hang on. I used to be really good at this. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns, feel free to contact me on the links in the description below. Also, Spotify and Anchor have a new feature. You guys can ask me questions and I can answer them. So please feel free to ask me questions on Anchor and Spotify. Thank you very much. You guys know how much I hate politics, but somehow still love talking about it. Yeah, that's a that's an enigma. That's an oxymoron, probably. I don't see that. But we do that section first before we do anything else, just to get it out of the way. So here we go. Uh, terminated healthcare education workers slam vaccine mandate. So, um, not sure. I have, have I have not been in the loop. Uh, for a while, so I'm going to be learning right with you on this stuff, so Americans who have chosen personal freedom over financial security are weighing in on Joe Biden's vaccine mandate and how it drastically changed their lives. Um, A rising number of individuals have been rejecting the COVID-19 vaccine even if it means losing their jobs. In a recent interview, a number of terminated healthcare and educational professional professionals said that they won't or they don't want to experience the side effects of the vaccine. Exactly. Let's see. Um, according to Bayer's website, thousands uh, have died post-vaccination. Uh, one physical education teacher opted to take unpaid leave after deciding he would not get the jab, asserting he wasn't given an option to decide for himself. Uh, I felt like I didn't have much of a choice in the matter, that I was being forced to do something, forced to put something in my body. Rob, uh, we're just going to say his name Rob just because I feel like anybody who refuses to take the vaccine, their identity should be, you know, protected. So his first name's Rob, not going to mention his last name. But anyway, um, a patient, care technician, and pediatric occupational therapist both uh, said they'd rather lose their job than their life. Exactly. Uh, There's too many unknowns for me to be comfortable with it, said Karen. Um, I think we need to allow for adequate science and studies to be done. Meanwhile, despite fears of the future, uh, 
and what comes next they're still making personal freedom and choice their priority and to be honest I agree wholeheartedly with all of those physicians uh, kudos to you guys you guys are really true doctors I'm so glad that you guys are valuing your life over you know the vaccine because this is just stupid um, people have been getting heart conditions and have been dying from it have been contracting Bell's palsy which is impossible almost um, because we see it all the time now as a side effect from the vaccine so um, if you're debating whether you should get the vaccine I highly recommend that you look up the um, side effects first because if anything it is very life-threatening and I just want my listeners to be safe when it comes to um, the vaccine and you know taking it and everything there have been children um, that have been forced to take it that now have very severe heart conditions and it's not something that should be you know taken lightly like oh the government knows what is best for me not all the time please understand that the government doesn't want you to um, have your own mind you know to make up your own mind they, they want to be able to control you so just please understand that and um, if you don't believe me that's totally fine but please do your own research before you do anything alright All right, we got Grant. We got. Sorry, <laughs> I'm just gonna leave the 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 what? Do you guys think it's relatable and funny that I mess up sometimes when I talk? Is that okay? Do you guys think that that's all right? Do you guys think that's funny, like entertaining? Do you guys think it just makes me more human? <laughs> Do you guys? I don't even know. Anyway, um, we have news about the Grand High Witch herself, Kamala Harris. Goodness. Let's see what happens. Shall we or not? Kamala Harris's speech interrupted by Heckler. Interesting. What did he say? I want to know. Kamala Harris speaks about the bipartisan in infrastructure deal and the Build Back Better agenda. Build Back Better, goodness. I'm sorry, can we just, can we, can we just like, take a minute to appreciate the, the two slogans from the 2020 election? Can, can we please? We have Build Back Better for Biden. Makes n absolutely no sense. Build back better. Okay, sir. Alright, whatever. And then we have Make America Great Again from Donald Trump. I, I'd go for Trump just because it makes sense. Make America Great Again. Not Build Back Better. What the, what the frick were you thinking, bro? But then we don't know what Joe Biden has. He might have Alzheimer's, dementia, uh, he might be just losing his mind. Um, he might just have his mind on touching little girls. We don't know. But anyway, um, let's see. On the Build Back Better agenda at the Edenwald YMCA on 
October 22, 2021 in the Bronx, borough of New York. I wonder who sent her to the Bronx. Yeah, Cortez probably did. Um, Kamala Harris is yelled at while delivering a speech on Joe Biden's Build Back Better agenda. While delivering a speech in New York City on Friday, Harris is was interrupted by a heckler who said he was enraged by the Biden administration. The heckler said he was furious with the failing infrastructure in his city that led to the tragic deaths of 13 people after, her, after Hurricane Ida tore through the area last month. Um, I didn't know Ida ripped through New York. I know it happens sometimes, but I... See, I don't watch local news. I don't watch the news on the TV. So I'm I'm out of the loop unless I'm on OAN. But despite Harris's best efforts to gain control of the situation, she froze as the man continued his criticism. Fuck yes. Um, she then offered to speak with him after she finished giving her comments. Eight families drowned here in Queens, said the heckler. I could have been... It could have been prevented if we had the right infrastructure. You are right, brother, Harris responded. I am right about that, said he said before Harris agreed. Um, following the exchange, several Secret Service agents reportedly ushered the man out of the room. Okay, well, there you go. That's like the best... That's, that's just a uh, democracy. <laughs> not democracy. We're not even in a democracy. I wish it was still a democracy, but it ain't. This is communism at its finest. You express yourself and you get kicked out of a room. I mean, all right. She just didn't want to listen to him. But you know what? My prayers and my thoughts go to the, the lives that were lost in Hurricane Ida. The only reason why... I, I am misinformed is because I don't rely on um, the news from the TV to tell me what's uh, going on in the world. When I do uh, watch the news on the TV, it's usually at work, and most of the time I think it's bullshit. And so I didn't even realize that New York was going through that uh, when Hurricane Ida hit, but... Um, I really hope that there are churches and missions, you know, giving out as much as they can uh, and just being generous in this time because um, I remember when I was in New York and I was on a mission trip, that's what we did. We gave people food, water, all of that. And um, I really hope that there's still some sort of mission um, places out there in New York. Um, that are still doing that because right now more than ever people need missions people need people to be generous to other people right now and um that's one thing kamala can't you know be capable of because she's not generous at all the only thing that she wants is to push this agenda so Next up in Rogue News, people, let's see. Treasury Secretary Yellen U.S. Uh, 
is not losing control of inflation. Well, that's nice to know. Even though she looked dumber than Joe Biden at the moment in this picture. I have no idea what's going on. Listen, we shouldn't be paying, like... How much is it for, ga for gas now? Terrence? How much is it for gas now? Yeah, we shouldn't be paying $3 for gas. That's not okay. That's not okay with me. But anyway, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen listens to Joe Biden during the hybrid meeting with corporate chief executives and members of his cabinet to discuss looming federal debt limit in the South Court Auditorium in the Eisenhower Executive Office Building on October 6th in Washington, D.C. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says she expects inflation levels to go back to normal in 2022. Sure! Whatever, ma'am. Whatever. Despite inflation growing at its fastest rate in 30 years, Yellen believes uh, the U.S. government has it under control. No, you don't. Because you've given thousands, actually millions of citizens in the U.S. government money for them to just be paid to sit on their ass. You know, all those stimulus checks, okay, they, no. That's one of the reasons why things are so bad right now. You, the government lost so much money by giving it out to people instead of actually getting money from their work, from their taxes, that, yeah, no, this is stupid. You're just trying really hard to make money again, and it's not working. So, during an interview on Sunday, the 75-year-old said she expects inflation levels to return to normal within the next year if Democrats obtain their so-called Build Back Better B Bill. God, why is that such a hard thing to say? Build Back Better Bill. Say that five times fast. Uh, spending trillions more. Yeah, yeah, wait, I gotta say, I gotta say that again. And return to normal within the next year if Democrats obtain their so-called Build Back can't say it. Democrats obtain their so-called Build Back Better bill, uh, spreading, spending trillions more. Jesus Christ. So, basically, what she says doesn't match up with the actions of the House. I see. Well, the additional spending in the infrastructure package and the Build Back Better package both of those are spending over 10 years, not in a single year. The rescue package will involve substantial spending this year, said Yellen. Um, she added how, to, how the rescue package helped decrease the unemployment to 4.8%. I'm sorry. No, you didn't. You're such a liar. Added how... The rescue package helped decrease unemployment to 4.8%. No, you want to know what happened? It increased because you gave everybody freaking stimulus checks to sit on their asses and get paid. Well. 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 I never. Well. Well. <laughs> hmm. That's a lie right there. 
and blame the decline in the size of the labor force on the pandemic. The pandemic. The pandemic. And blame. Okay, I have to say this again. And blame the decline in the size of the labor force on the pandemic. pandemic. More people sat on their butts than got up and worked. Okay? You know why? Because you guys quarantined everybody. A lot of people lost their jobs. A lot of people had to go on to unemployment. So therefore, that's a big ass lie right there. So that's a big ass lie. Anyway, although the price of the fuel has only increased, she mentioned monthly rates of inflation have already fallen substantially and thinks the economy will bounce back no later uh, than the end of 2022. Mm hmm. Let's see what this lady's gotta say. This is rising inflation is hitting Americans while it's hard impacting everything from gas prices to groceries. When do you expect inflation to get back to the, you know, two percent range, which is considered normal? 2022, 2023, what, when? Well, I expect that to happen next year. Um, monthly rates of inflation have already fallen substantially from the very high rates that we saw in the spring and early summer. Um, on a 12-month basis, the inflation rate. Uh, will remain high uh, into next year because of what's already happened. But uh, I expect improvement uh, by the end of, uh, by the middle of the end of next year, second, second half of next year. Second half of 2022. All right. That's terrible. I was going to say something terrible, but you know what? I'm not going to. I'm going to be a nice person today. But she just sounds like she doesn't know what she's talking about. Let's just say that. Um, on the contrary, former Treasury Secretary under the Obama administration, Larry Summers, said, These numbers are very concerning, especially since it's not just gas prices seeing an increase. However, Yellen has continued to downplay concerns over rising inflation and has insisted prices of goods will decrease. <laughs> Additionally, she said Americans will find jobs uh, to be able to return to normal life as long as they're vaccinated, right? Listen, mm, I, I can't. I can't deal with the Democrats at the moment. The thing is, is that even, even though I know what's going on, when politicians are interviewed for any type of news outlet, they are told what to say. Okay. Not only that, there's people that believe this crap that they're saying. And even if they, like, bumble like a freaking moron in front of the TV screen, like, it, it's fine. People understand somehow, and it's okay. And that's the problem with with the American people right now, they've just been kind of brainwashed into believing that everything from the news and everything that the government says is true. Like, the government shits gold. No, it don't. It's stinky. Get out. Anyway, although the entire country being impacted, politicians are seeing their states suffer daily. Um, the left's Con constant <laughs> uh, push 
to pass the trillion dollar social spending package has leaders worried about the future cost of living for Americans. The greatest concern that Americans have right now is the rising cost of fuel, gasoline, and groceries. And whatever you hear, or whenever you hear Speaker Nancy Pelosi talk about the trillion dollar package, it hasn't been written. It can't be explained, said Governor Governor Asa Hutchinson, Republican of Arkansas. Um, Meanwhile, Joe Biden says he was considering deploying the National Guard to help curb the supply chain crisis, but the White House officials said this isn't something that is currently being considered. Alright. Yeah, just another day at the, the White House being dumb as hell. Okay, now it's on to regular news. Um, I don't know what I'm going to be talking about. Usually I find interesting things to read about and then just read it to you guys. So yeah, this is kind of like in the middle between politics and world news. So yeah, we're just going to we're just going to do stuff. We're just Yeah. <laughs> they- Thank you for the sound effects, sweetheart. I love you so much. (laughs) Okay, I found one. That was fast. And uh, this one is also from OAN News, so um, I gotta read this. Let's see. Houston authorities investigating potential case of neglect homicide uh, after three children under age of 18 human remains were found in an apartment. That's nice. That's terrible. Three children under the age of 18 have been found seemingly abandoned in a Houston apartment complex. Very horrific situation here. Very tragic. We've been in this business for a long time and I had never heard of a scenario like this. It really caught me by surprise. Uh, said Sheriff Ed Gonzalez of Harris County Sheriff's Office upon the grim discovery. Houston authorities are now investigating a possible case of child neglect and even homicide. The Harris County Sheriff's Office reported finding three children, reportedly 15-year-old, 10-year-old, and 7-year-old, abandoned and living alongside human remains during a welfare check on Sunday. The department said the oldest sibling uh, had called the department to let them know his nine-year-old brother had been dead for a year. Oh my god. And their parents hadn't lived in the apartment for several months. Skeletal remains were found in the apartment. Oh my god. So, let me get this straight. Because at first, when I first saw the title... They, I thought they found three dead children, but it seems like three of them are alive, or maybe two of them are alive, and one of them is dead. So, we're just gonna listen to uh, Sheriff Ed Gonzalez talk about this real quick. Oh, wow. Hang on. Is it not working, or is he? does he not... 
There we go. That was uh, Officer Gonzalez, Sheriff of, uh, Gonzalez, updating about um, the whole incident. So, they've been here for an extended period of time. Okay, never mind. He said that. I don't want to repeat that. Uh, the sheriff said the two younger children appeared to be malnourished and had physical injuries, adding, It's unclear if they had been attending school. All three were taken to the hospital for treatment. Uh, the remains believed to belong to the children's sibling uh, will be examined by a coroner in order to confirm the identity and cause of death. Police have uh, located the kid's mother and her boyfriend and brought them in for questioning, but they have since, but not have they, but they have since been released. No charges have been filed yet. However, the investigation is still ongoing. In the meantime, the three children are in custody of the county. Good God. Um, listen, I know times are tough right now, but there's no excuse to just abandon your children like that. No excuse. I don't even want to get mad right now. I've, I've, I don't want to... I'm not in the mood for getting mad, but I will say this. that That is abandonment. It's not neglect. It is neglect, of course, but it stretches farther than that. That is abandonment. When you just leave your kids there for a year and just forget about them, and one of them dies, there's blood on your hands now. Alright, we got one more. Well, we got two more, actually. 
Honey, I'm sorry. I told him to turn off his phone. Because I'm, I'm recording. <clears throat> you didn't actually need to turn it off. You could have just turned it down. I love you. I love you. <laughs> How Vincent Van Gogh helped Jews break into the world of art and vice versa. Let's see. High-tech immersive Van Gogh exhibitions are touring the globe uh, 120 years after Jewish art collector helped launch the Dutch painter of s to stardom. New York. Okay. In the cultivate in the culminating gallery of Van Gogh, the immersive experience, the painter's uh, masterpiece masterpieces come to life through swirling animations and projected or projected everywhere. Uh, even the lounge chairs are covered in sunflowers and other recognizably Van Gogh touches. Uh, the process of commercializing Van Gogh started 120 years ago when German Jewish art collector Paul Cassier uh, staged the first showing of the Dutch painter's works in Berlin. After the exhibition, Van Gogh's legacy and modern art in general became intertwined with the trajectory of European Jews, uh, according to historian Charles Delheim. In the interview with the Times of Israel, Delheim um, spoke about the risk-taking uh, qualities of Cassier and other Jews who helped Van Gogh achieve uh, Posthumous fame? I don't know how I don't know how to say that. More than uh, a century later, Van Gogh paintings uh, that were once owned by Jews still make headlines in connection to having been looted by Nazi Germany. Van Gogh's art, especially its uh, posthumous um, history. Uh, intersects with the history of modern Jews in Europe and America, said Delheim, whose new book, Belonging and Betrayal, How Jews Made the Art World Modern, uh, was published uh, on September 21st. Before the popularization of artists such as Sejin, Monet, and Picasso, art uh, was about... Uh, Evolating religion. The Jews pushing modern art were uh, inserting themselves into a new field and peddling uh, what some called irreligious and degenerate art. What? It's, they said that in air quotes, like it was, uh, I don't know. I, don't, I wouldn't say degenerate. That's terrible. Uh, among the Modernists, painters adored uh, by Jewish collectors, Van Gogh figured uh, prominently. Within two decades of the artist's death, a good deal of his paintings and drawings have been purchased by Jewish collectors, said Delheim, a longtime professor at Boston University. With uh, the post-impressionists like Van Gogh, Jews were beginning to make themselves felt as historians, critics, and dealers 
connoisseurs and painters too, wrote Delheim. Um, born into a minister's family in 1853, Van Gogh uh, tried his hand at several professions before finding his calling. Van Gogh sometimes sketched or painted Jewish sites and people uh, he came across in The Hague and Amsterdam. In the closing montage of the immersive experience, however, the artist's love for the countryside is what shines the brightest. The dark, sinewy trees of Starry Night um, sway in the wind with farmers and their plows float across wheat fields from above. The eyes of Van Gogh's self-portraits gaze down on the now iconic pastoral scenes he painted in France and the Netherlands. Oh, this is beautiful. I'm seeing, like, beautiful um, pictures that are projected on the walls of this museum. I really want to go. Where is it? It was in New York City. Okay. <laughs> Not long after painting some of his famous... Uh, nature scenes, including the roots and wheat field with crows, Van Gogh died of self-inflicted gunshot wound when he was 37 years old. Racially driven theft. Uh, born into a well-heeled German Jewish family, Paul Cassier was way ahead of his game when it came to art, said Delheim. Uh, he was an intellectual and risk uh, taker willing to take a gamble on new art, said Delheim. Uh, he put a lot of faith in his own eye. For example, Cassier was the first uh, to show French, French Impressionists in Germany, including Manet and Gauchwin. I don't know how to pronounce any of those names, I'm sorry. For years, Cassier has been imploring Joanna Van Gogh, the widow of Vincent's brother and sponsor, Theo, to, to permit him to show some of Van Gogh's paintings. Um, a breakthrough in 1901 when Cassier was able to show five of Van Gogh's works in an annual Berlin secession. Succession. Is it secession? Ex exhibition of... Um, modernist artists. Critical for Cassier's success, said Delheim, was that he had cultivated a circle of enlightened progressive collectors who uh, he could sell Van Gogh's paintings to. While the old master paintings were suffused with Christian symbols, said Delheim, you didn't have to be a religious person to appreciate Van Gogh. You didn't have to embrace anything to understand Van Gogh. In his Berlin exhibitions, Cassier was known for mixing old masters with the El Greco. Oh, oh my God, such as El Greco with avant-garde artists and Renoir, Picasso, and for Cassier and other Jewish collectors, the attraction to Van Gogh is intense and. Uh, an aesthetic, said Delheim. I don't know why they say said Delheim every single time he they quote him. But um, following the 1901 exhibition, some German 
galleries and museums purchased Van Gogh's works. However, modern art was widely viewed as French and unpatriotic, and Jewish art dealers uh, started looking abroad for buyers, including American museums. Beginning in the 1920s, uh, racial propaganda branded Jews and modern art as alien elements to be eliminated. The post-World War I stab in the back myth, for example, included backstories. We have a Swahili family that lives across the hall. At least I think they're Swahili. I only know one word in Swahili and it's yibble, and it's usually yes, right? They've used that a few times. <laughs> I don't know what... I really wish I could understand, because it's just... Sometimes it's just entertaining to hear other people. Um, let's see, racial community with influences such as degenerate art and social movements. The democratic heft of Delheim's book uh, comes from the sudden downfall of art world Jews who uh, thought they'd made it in Europe. After working so hard to ex accelerate um, into Germany, uh, France, and elsewhere, these families were rapidly despoiled of their artwork and other property. Those who could not flee Europe in time were murdered. Uh, the Nazis asserted their own cultural claims and economic hunger through systematic racially driven theft of Jewish-owned collections. Uh, fine art, therefore, have become a bloody cross crossroads uh, where culture and money, aesthetics, and avarice collided with the disastrous consequences. And that's a little bit of history of Van Gogh's art, guys. Okay, this next one, let's see if I can, real quick. Because I just love the fact that the app that I, oh, there it is, never mind. <laughs> uh, I was gonna say that the app that I have, um, I think it's like, I don't know, it's something with Google. It's like a Google news thing. I don't know what it's called. Um, but whenever I swipe to something that I want to read and then I go to my Anchor app to record, it, the story disappears and I'm just like, dang it. <laughs> but um, this is something that I wanted to read just because it's something that pertains to me and, you know, what I kind of struggle with uh, when, when I paint and when I uh, use creativity. So I just kind of wanted to touch base on that today. Anyway, why people tend to give up on creative projects too early. So almost all good writing comes with terrible first efforts. Anne Lamont declares in her beloved book for scribblers, <laughs> Bird by Bird, um, you need to start somewhere. The same is true for a creative project. 
Yet it's easy to forget this rule of thumb when you're in the midst of brainstorming a new design or coming up with a business proposal. Aware that the undertaking thus far isn't looking very promising, under those circumstances it can seem reasonable, nay wise, to simply give up. A recent paper published in Trends in Cognitive... I'm sorry, my husband's texting me. Give me a second. I'm not going to stop recording. Anyway, a recent paper (laughs) published in Trends in Cognitive Sciences uh, suggests that many people quit creative projects too soon because they misunderstand how creativity works. Basically, um, they put too much stock in the importance of aha moments filled with sudden inspiration and not nearly enough weight on the persistence as a crucial part of the creativity process. Um, The authors call this the phenomenon insight bias. I kind of understand what they're talking about because I would have an idea for a story because I write... Listen, your girl does a lot (laughs) creatively. This isn't the only thing that I do creatively. I have a podcast, I write stories, I write books, um, I paint, um, I do digital painting, canvas painting, um, I sew, I do a whole lot of stuff. Um, but when it comes to like me writing a story or a book or having the idea of a story, it's it feels like it's all there when you have that one inspiring idea. So... Uh, When you have that inspiring idea, the first thing that I do in order for it to not, you know, just kind of wisp away from my grasp is to write everything down. And um, that way I have some sort of solid ground to work on. So, um, yeah, a lot of people, especially young writers, because I used to go through this a lot when I was young, when I was in high school and in junior high, I would have so many ideas and I would start, uh, I used to start writing in journals first. So every journal had like its own story that I wrote in, but at some point I would get a writer's block and I would never go back to it. And sometimes I would just throw it away. And there were times that I regretted that. But um, that kind of still happens now that I'm on, um, this website that I can publish all of my books and my stories on, um, I do have some multiple original stories uh, that are still unfinished. So I do have ideas and I do want to write them down and, you know, they do have a few chapters, but when it comes to, like, um, all of that, when it comes to being... Um, persistent in one idea and following through. It is very hard because sometimes me as uh, a creative person, I get bored very easily. So 
um, in order for me not to get bored and to keep things fresh, um, I go ahead and start a new story. And that just leaves a whole mess of like stories I get bored with one by one by one. And um, that's something that I have to personally work on myself. So I kind of understand what they're saying. Like insight bias is when you have an idea that inspires you, but you don't want to, you don't think much of like the consistency of making that idea like a whole lot bigger. So um, the new paper was authored by Brian Lucas, an assistant uh, professor of organizational behavior at Cornell University and Lauren Nordgen, Nordgen? I don't know, uh, a professor of management and organization of the Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management. Previous research by Lucas and Norgan um, established, I'm going to just say Norgan, I don't even know how to say his name, I'm sorry, um, established that people underestimate how much their own creative performance benefits from persistence. In 2020, study published uh, in the journal PNAS, people consistently expected their creativity to decline as they continued a brainstorming session. Uh, when in fact their creativity improved. Yes. So, um, this does happen, uh, again, like, as a writer. I used to read books on how to structure, um, a book. Like, how to structure my own story, my own novel. So, um, the one thing that I remember reading is that, um, you have to have, like, a 10 scene um, outline. So like figure out how um, the first scene starts. Uh, Have like three main bullets. Sometimes I use 10 like 10 main bullets, like 10 main things, events that happen in your story under that one scene. So that way when you do get stuck you can refer to the outline and you can figure out from there what to do. So, um, a lot of the time when I do write, I do make things up as I go along and that can also be um, inconsistent. Uh, but when I write something down, like an outline, it's it's always there and I can refer to it whenever I do have a writer's block and you know it kind of helps with the consistency of the story. Um, the same thing goes with painting. I feel like um, there are times when I've seen people give up on a drawing just because they're in the process of making it beautiful. That means, and I call this the ugly duckling stage of any type of art. It's when you start seeing the uh, artwork come to life but it's not at all how you want it to look. You're, you start hating it because you've spent so much time sketching or drawing or painting and it doesn't look exactly how you want it to. And um, that's what we call the ugly duckling stage. It has to look ugly before it looks pretty. And sometimes I will have to step away from a canvas or an artwork and just relax for a minute before I go back to it because if I keep messing with it, I've learned that I make it worse. <laughs> so there are it's okay to take breaks and it's okay to just kind of set it aside. You don't have to throw it away. Make sure that you don't give up on the artwork 
because somebody somebody's gonna really like that and somebody you know is gonna like that you know just it's gonna speak to them so try your best not to throw away your own artwork or abandon your idea because you never know who might like it in the end um, so I've, I've been through that too other research meanwhile uh, has shown that a lot of people expect creativity to be something that comes naturally. For example, the authors note, one study found that people believe that creativity sim- stimulated more by defocusing, not working on the problem, than by focusing, deliberately working on the task. However, uh, when asked to recall and describe a recent idea generation experience, they reported the opposite. Their idea was more uh, often preceded by focusing and defocusing. So, okay. So it's both coming naturally and also being planned. So I kind of understand that. Uh, To be clear, research supports the idea that the kind of effortless insights that strike us on walks uh, or in the shower can be part of the creative process, not chipping away at task matters a lot, too. Um, how expectations shape reality. The origins of insight bias may lie in the cultural emphasis on the figure of lone genius, uh, whose innate talents may inevitably lead him to success. It also may have to do with their our own personal experiences of creativity. Uh, it feels more fun and easy when ideas simply come to us, when they churn away at our desks for hours at a time. These expectations matter, the authors say, because of their beliefs about creativity influence how uh, willing we are to keep working when we don't feel particularly inspired. Um, let's see, undervaluing persistence and believing one's best ideas come early leads people to disengage from creative work more quickly, uh, which limits creativity. Lucas and Norgan also note that the insight bias may prompt people to discount the value of others whose um, accomplishments draw in persistence. Uh, rather than innate genius, um, even when the quality of the work is high. Does that just mean artist jealousy? Because there's a lot of artists that are very jealous of each other. Um, I remember I was presenting my work to another artist who um, was kind of like, she um, she was a painter too, and I remember we were at this like very intimate like little, I wouldn't even say it was a concert, it was more of like just a an acoustic set and uh the the band that was playing also had a painter that was just like kind of painting in the corner and i was just mesmerized by it and i started talking to her because she started you know selling her stuff and everything and i kind of wanted to pick her brain and um my husband realized right away that um she saw my artwork and immediately somehow it it just was it she had a an expression of like competition i guess and that is natural uh to a lot of artists who want to succeed in in their own business and stuff like that 
it's going to happen because artists are emotional. They're going to compare themselves just to each other. That That's just how it is. It's natural. It's not something that should happen. But when an artist, most of them are emotional. So when they do um, end up, you know, meeting another artist, it's like, okay, is she going to be better than me? Or is he or she going to be more successful than me? And all of that stuff. But... Um, in reality, both of us have our own businesses and we are, we thrive on our own and that's perfectly fine. Um, so yes, while the study doesn't offer ideas about the, or about how we might reset our expectations about how creativity works, simply being aware of the bias may help us keep it in check. So the next time you feel discouraged or frustrated in the midst of a creative problem, resist the urge to, to throw in the towel. Um, like Lamont or Lamont, um, trust the process and have faith that a really good idea may just be around the corner. Yes, I, uh, I believe that um, wholeheartedly because um, there have been times when I've given up on just small paintings, like small watercolor paintings, and I'm just like, it looks like trash, and I would throw it away, and I'd just be like, I could have made it better, you know. So don't give up, fellow artists. It's going to be okay. Keep pushing through, uh, you know, push through the ugly duckling process. Everything's gonna be okay. The more you per persist in your project, the more beautiful it becomes. I think we need a break. World News Renegades! Yay! Yay! I don't know. Um, I'm goofy today, so... Um, have you noticed that it uh, took two days to do this? To do, to do this episode? I hope you appreciate it. <laughs> so first is Norway. Um, I tried to find something a little bit more interesting than what I've found, but um, I feel like... If I don't talk about it, then I, I don't, I don't know. I always feel like if I don't talk about something serious, then my listeners aren't going to take me seriously. Or they think that I'm not going to take them and their struggles seriously. But I, I mean, I could be wrong. But still, I want to read it. So, um, <clears throat> let's see here. Kivam, I think that's how you say it. Um, forgive me if I mispronounced it, but, uh, in Kivam, three people still missing. Police no longer have hope of finding them alive. Um, no new people or objects were found during the night at, uh, Kivam's Kogan in Harden Hardinger. Uh, three people are still missing. On Monday night, the police, uh, made it clear that 
they no longer hope to find the three missing people in Kavam alive. Uh, the search operation was scaled down and a search is now underway for the presumed dead. Volunteers have been on duty at um, observation posts in strategic places during the night. Um, on Tuesday, the police will recognize uh, the search and or I'm sorry, reorganize the search and make a plan for further efforts in the area. The water level is still high in the area with effects or which affects the work. Police uh, stated that in a press release on Tuesday, there have been no active uh, searches for the missing people throughout the night. It would be too dangerous. Operations manager Tatjana Knappen uh, in the Western Police District told Norwegian Broadcasting. Well, that was a short story. We're going to go to another one real quick. Okay. Let's uh, do this other one. It took me about twice to read it. Um, just because there's one word that I cannot pronounce, but I'm just going to read over it. And I apologize in advance. Uh, Seven-week culture sector strike in Norway ends. The strike in Norway's culture sector is over, the ombudsman uh, stated in a press release late last night. Uh, at 3.30 a.m. on Monday, October 25th, the ombudsman confirmed that the strike was over. Elo, Stat, and Spectre have agreed to introduce a lifelong and gender-neutral pension benefits in Norway's culture sector from April 1st, 2020. Wait, yeah. So next year in April. Um, nearly 900 employees and 15 cultural institutions, including the opera and the National Theater, have been on strike. Uh, in 2016, cultural employees agreed to temporarily switch from defined benefit pension to defined contribution pension. A strike occurred this year because the unions wanted to revisit the temporary plan. The conflict arose because the unions wanted a hybrid pension, while the specter uh, wanted to keep the 2016 scheme. These are very, very short um, articles. Next up is Ireland. So we're gonna. I'm gonna go find. I'm. I'm gonna go find an article real quick. But Ireland, you're next. Get ready and listen, guys. I love you. I'm sorry that I'm weird today. I'm just in rare form. I'm in rare form today. Yeah. I guess um, Ireland is suffering a case of some missing people too. Um, I don't know what's going on with that. That kind of angers me. Um, Deidre Jacob case. No evidence found in search operation. Uh, Gardy says. Let's see. Three week search of 
wooded area at Taggardstone, Taggardstown, um, on Co-Wicklow border was, or has ended. A three-week search operation at, in Co-Kilder for the remains of Deidre Jacob, who went missing in 1998, has ended, without any new evidence being located. Um, the search began on October 11th and uh, covered an isolated wooded area in the west or in the east of the county county uh, near the Co-Wicklow border, and about 15 kilometers uh, from Newbridge, um, in an area known as Taggartstown. The area was searched previously. Garde hoped to find evidence relating to Miss Jacobs' suspected murder and possibly the disappearance of up to eight other women who went missing in the Lannister area in the 1990s. Lannister is one of the, um, I think it's a city? It's, it, it's one of the cities that is actually listening to me. I'm really sorry that everything's happening like that. I'm so sorry. I had no idea. Um, to everybody in Lannister, I just hope and pray everything's okay for you guys. I know it's not. I know you guys are suffering a lot of loss. Um, I'm deeply sorry. Um, I, my thoughts and prayers go out to you wholeheartedly. Um, the site was targeted for search after Gardy reviewed a witness statement taken during the original investigation from a man who saw suspicious activity in the area. However, on Tuesday afternoon, the Garda said the latest search was uh, has now been completed and that nothing of evidential value was recovered. So, I don't necessarily know too much about the Deidre um, Jacob? Is that her name? Yeah, Deidre Jacob uh, case. I don't know anything about it. Um, this is the first time me hearing about it. Um, but in 1990, in 1998, like it started in 1990, women started disappearing in, into these um, areas. And the I, I want to say maybe that she's the most recent one, Deidre Jacob. Um, she disappeared in 1998. Has the search been just going since the 1990s? And now, has it just become a cold case? That's what I'm trying to figure out. Um, Gardy remain at the scene uh, to repair the site, which is private property following the search operation. Have you guys um, talked to the person that owns that private property, though? Maybe he or she knows something. Maybe the company knows something. Um, on Garda Siochana uh, continues to keep the families involved updated in the progress of the investigations, it said in a statement. While no evidence relating to the Jacob investigation was found, Garda did find or did uncover the remains of a previously undiscovered historical settlement believed to date about 500 BC. The National Monuments Service has been notified about the find. God. I don't like 
talking about murder. I hate it. That's one thing that I just can't stand. But, um, since it's important to Lannister, I want to, I want to talk about it. Um, and Miss Jacob went missing in 1998 as, uh, she was walking home in Newbridge, Colkilder. Um, in 2018, Miss Jacob's disappearance was upgraded to a murder investigation following a review by a serious crime uh, review team in the National Bureau of Criminal Investigation. The disappearance of Miss Jacob is one of uh, a number of suspected murders of women in the area in the 1990s. Jesus Christ! What's going on in that area? Um, eight women disappeared within between 1993 and 1998 in the area roughly corresponding to the borders of Lannister. Gardy have um, reason to believe that at least some of the women are abducted and murdered by the same person. So as a serial killer. Um, convicted rapist Larry Murphy has long been suspected for the murder of several of the women, including Miss Jacob. Um, he was released in 2010, having served 10 years um, of a 15-year sentence for kidnapping, raping, and attending, attempting to murder a young woman in the Wicklow Mountains in 2000. What the fuck? And you let him out? He needs to be locked up in solitary confinement and never see the light of frickin' day. I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. No! He belongs in jail for the rest of his frickin' life. Um, a former cellmate of Murphy's was, um, has alleged Garde to, or, yeah, I'm sorry. A former cellmate of Murphy's was alleged to Garde that the Wicklow man confessed to him of the murder of Miss Jacob. Um, in 2018, Miss Jacob's disappearance was, um, upgraded to a murder investigation following a review, um, by the serious crime review team in the National Bureau of Criminal Investigation. The Garda has submitted a file, uh, on her murder and the director of public, uh, prosecutions, DPP, but the DPP, uh, has yet to, uh, recommend charges. Uh, Miss Jacob was training to be a teacher in London and has an uh, on visit or was on visit home when she went missing. Uh, today, investigating Garde uh, have followed more than 3,000 separate lines of inquiry. So there's three different, in, 3,000 different inquiries about her death and how she died. Um, Garde are also understood to be investigating new leads regarding to the disappearance of another missing woman, 25-year-old Jojo Dullard. Uh, she was last seen, um, in Moon, Cole Kilder, in, uh, November 1995. Her disappearance has officially upgraded to a murder inquiry earlier this year. Eva Brennan was 39 when she went missing from... Uh, Rathdown Park area of the... T oh, Jesus Christ. I'm sorry. Th this stuff just gives me the creeps. I can't. Um, sometimes I just need a moment to, like, freaking read it. Um, uh, uh, Terraner 
on Sunday, July 25th, 1993. Having visited her family home um, for lunch, though she suffered from depression, her family do not believe that this was related to her disappearance. Um, Imelda Keenan was 22 when she disappeared on J- January 3rd, 1994. She has uh, she was last seen at William Street Bridge in Waterford City. Um, her family renewed the appeal for information about her um, for what would have been her 50th birthday in March. Fiona Pender disappeared 25 years ago in August 23rd, 1996. She was last seen at 6 a.m. at the morning uh, at her flat in Church Street, uh, Tullamore, Cole, Offaly. Or Offaly? Um, Miss Pender, 25, ha- uh, has seven was seven months pregnant at the time. She had returned to live in Ireland from uh, London in November of the previous year. Oh my god, there's so many more. Jesus Christ. Uh, Sierra Breen was 17 when she went missing from her home in Bachelor's Walk, uh, Dundalk, uh, Coluth, in February 13th, 1997. A search for Balmer's bog outside of the town in 2015 revealed no signs of her disappearance. So all of these women disappeared and there's no remains at all. Are they being trafficked? Fiona Sinat uh, is nine or was 19 and her mother and the mother of an 11th old month boy. When she disappeared on February 8th, 1998, she was last seen uh, leaving Butler's pub on in Broadway near her um, home in Ballyhit, uh, Co. Wexford. The uh, initial missing persons inquiry was upgraded to a murder investigation in 2005. Jesus, that was so much. Oh my god. Um, that sounds like not just murder because you can't find the remains. You can't find the remains of these women, so they could be alive, they could not be alive. They're just ruling it as a murder because they haven't seen any signs of these women. So if um, they are alive, they're most likely trafficked, because I've said this before, human trafficking is a big business. It's not something that should be a business, but it is. And it's disgusting. And I hope to God some of these women, if they are alive, come up um, from whatever they're suffering from. I hope that all of them are alive and they come to see their families at some point. But um, if they, if it, <laughs> if they are dead, my my love and my prayers and my condolences to every family member of these women. You guys have suffered so much. You guys suffered enough. I hope you guys are able to get closure. This is ridiculous. It is 11.11 a.m. That's pretty awesome. I like that number. Anyway, um, 
Here is some news from Australia. So I don't like to depress any of my listeners, but you already know me. If I hear about it and I see it, I really need to talk about it. So this story comes from Australia, and yes, it is very bad. I I apologize in advance, but I gotta talk about it, so... Criminologist says police would have been looking for signs of a struggle in Cleo Smith's home. So if you guys um, aren't informed, I've been trying to um, get the story out since yesterday. Um, and I've read the story of little Cleo Smith. Uh, she was camping with her parents. She was taken right out of her tent uh, where her and her parents were sleeping at the Blowholes campsite, and, um, they're still trying to find her. So, a leading criminologist has revealed the heartbreaking clue that police have been looking for inside Cleo Smith's family home. One of Australia's leading criminologists revealed the heartbreak- okay, hang on. Police now- Uh, ruled the missing four-year-old parents as suspects after a third search of the home in uh, Carnivron on Wednesday. So yesterday. Uh, Dr. Xanthi Millette said investigators would have likely been looking for signs of injuries or struggles inside the home. Um, It just... It's just to rule out any kind of potential issues that may have happened at the home. But certainly the family have been ruled out as suspects at this time. Uh, That was stated yesterday, so really they were covering their bases to make sure that they have all the information going forward, she told Sunrise. Uh, You would have to take a look at the family that would be part of the investigation, sadly, along with all of the avenues that they will be investigating. They need to make sure that they collect the evidence uh, that they... I'm sorry. They need to make sure that the that they collect the evidence that may be available at the beginning so it's not lost. So I'd certainly expect them to such... I'd certainly expect them to such that family property as part of any routine investigation. Um, It has now been 13 days since Cleo vanished, uh, which Dr. Millette said was a really long time in a missing child investigation. Obviously, she could be anywhere in the country has... uh, she been abducted, she said. It is a significant worry and every day that passes obviously getting more concerned for her safety. It comes to the Australian Federal Police uh, have investigated search for Cleo. Prime Minister Scott Morrison revealed the agency's involvement in the suspected abduction case on Tuesday saying he hoped the AFPs um, 
very advanced capabilities would help the investigation. I'm very pleased to say that they're helping um, in every way they possibly can through the intelligence capabilities, their technology, and their forensics abilities, he said. Uh, it's, I just hope he can find Cleo, or we can find Cleo. I'm so sorry. I, you know how I get sometimes. I, sometimes it's difficult for me to read, but um, I'm going to keep going. I just hope we can find Cleo. I think the whole nation is just waiting and hoping and praying. I just want to assure everybody over there in WA, um, particularly the family and friends of poor Cleo, this is really capturing the minds of the country. The one thing that I gotta say is that ever since, now this is just what I've noticed, it's probably not true, but ever since the Petito case, Things have just kind of been rolling forward after that in abductions um, and disappearances. Um, I don't know whether that's a pattern. I don't know whether that means anything. I've just recognized it. And it needs to stop. But creepy warning from Cleo campsite. A sinister warning of an attempted abduction emerged more than seven years ago from the remote campsite where Cleo was seen. The social media post on local uh, Carnivron uh, chat page raged, raised concerns about the child being approached by a man at the Blowholes campsite. The local said the girl was approached by a male aged uh, in his late 40s with a beard and who was driving a small red car uh, at the popular coastal campground July 2014. The girl's mother said she reported the incident to police at the time. Attention, please beware. The mother's post started. The man asked her if she would get in the car and go for a drive. She said no one, she said no and took off straight back to the camp. Sorry, I don't have a better description as she was quite freaked out. Then why would you go back? That's the thing. Why would you go back to the same campsite that she was approached by this man? That makes no absolute sense. Now, I'm kind of understanding why the parents are now being ruled as suspects. Were they working together with this man? See, I... I don't want to talk like this because, of course, there's family members and there's the parents and the friends of Cleo that are already having a hard time. But my mind keeps working. Why on earth would they go back? Or is this the same day? Because, listen, if someone approached a child like that, and I saw it, I'd be like, listen, your kid was approached by a pedophile, and I just want you guys to be safe. You probably should leave the campsite. That's what I would do. There ain't no way I'm staying in the same vicinity as somebody that approached my child. Hell no. Uh, the police have uh, been notified. Um, a good time to remind 
our precious one, uh, Stranger Danger. Police have, or police believe that Cleo was abducted after she vanished from the tent she shared with her mother, Ellie Smith's stepfather, step, I'm sorry, stepfather, Jake Gidden, um, and baby sister, uh, Isla, on October 16th. See, I don't, see, if this was, this, okay, this is kind of interesting because, um, if she, if this child was trafficked, the abductor would have taken the baby sister too. Because babies, children, are a very high price in human trafficking, in child trafficking. So if that person um, abducted and trafficked the child, he most likely would have taken Ilsa too, or Isla. Because that's a baby. That's big money. That's dollar signs to people uh, who are in the trafficking business. So the, the reason why I believe that it's not a trafficking thing is because the child, her baby sister, would have been taken too. Both children would have been taken. This is a pedophile um, act. This is a pedophilia act because pedophiles will fixate on one child like a love interest and they will be only interested in that child and victimizing that child. They believe it's love, which it isn't, of course. It is a perversion that manifests itself as love. So this man was fixated on this one particular child and abducted her. That's why I believe it is a pedophilic act instead of a trafficking act. Now that I hear that, now that I've heard that, now that I've read that, I can make that deduction. That is a pedophile act. It is not a trafficking act. If it was a trafficking act, maybe there was some sort of amount of money on her head. I don't know. I don't want to make assumptions. I'm sorry. Forgive me for making assumptions like this. Um, you, you know, people who have listened to me know that I try to solve the problems in my head while I read. Forgive me if that disturbs you. Um, but this was most likely a pedophile act, um, an act of pedophilia. And it's wrong. Either way, it's wrong. Um, she had woken up about 1.30 a.m. and her mother gave her a sip of water and she went back to bed. When they woke at 6 a.m., the tent zipper was open to the height the little girl would not be able to reach, and she was gone. Her sleeping bag was also missing. Last week, it was revealed by police um, that up to 20 registered sex offenders live in Canavron area, all of whom have been interviewed by police. At this stage, police... Uh, have not named any suspects in the little girl's disappearance. Police making a big call. See, okay, sex offender, yeah, I can understand that. Um, I mean, I don't like it, but I understand the crime now because, like I said, if it was a trafficking thing, they'll, they'll take any child in order to sell it. That's just how it is, is like selling drugs children are a commodity in human trafficking and it's wrong. And so 
that's why I said they would have most likely taken her sister too. But since it's a pedophilic act or a sex offending act, they're fixated on one child. But West Australian police searched uh, Khalil's home for a third time yesterday and they have now said her parents are not suspects in the mysterious disappearance. Okay. Acting Police Commissioner uh, Colonel Blanche, I think that's how you, yeah, said forensic forensic examinations at the Canavron home of Ellie Smith and Jake Glidden um, was standard police and part of. I'm sorry, it was standard practice, standard investigation practice and part of eliminating anyone and everyone who was at the Blowholes campground in McCloyd, I think, I don't know, McCloyd, in October 16th, 16th, uh, as a suspect. So didn't she, didn't the parents go to the campsite around July 2014 too? That's why I asked, why did they go back if they were approached by it? if her child was approached by a sex offender. That doesn't make any sense to me. Um, we must do a thorough investigation, Mr. Blanche told 16 or 6PR radio on Wednesday. Uh, the parents have been nothing but helpful. We've worked very closely... Why am I choking over my words? Closely with them. Uh, they let us into their home. They've let us into their cars, their phones, everything. Our job is to eliminate everyone that was at the campsite, and that is a systematic and thorough approach in doing so in any investigation. That uh, really is the focus of the investigation at the moment. On Tuesday, detectives and forensic officers uh, scoured through the home for several hours before leaving with two evidence bags. Miss Smith and uh, Glidden have also vehemently denied having any involvement in the girl's disappearance. No way. We love our daughter and want her home, Miss Smith told Seven's Flashpoint program. Um, there is no way that either of myself or Jake would have done anything to hurt our daughter. Um, Let's see. She's been taken from our family from somewhere she's meant to feel safe. Mr. Blanche said police were still very open-minded with their investigation and they told or they held hope Cleo would return home safely. There's a massive police team up in Canavron. Um, up at Blowhole, still working every day, he said. Um, it's important we all have hope that we can bring Cleo home. The team are focused on finding Cleo, getting the evidence, and doing the best we can to solve this, and that's really our priority. Um, a major focus of police investigations um, it involves around a report from two people that said they saw a car turn right off Blowholes Road onto Northwest Coastal Highway heading towards Canavron between 3 a.m. and 3.30 a.m. the day Cleo vanished. 
Anyone with information about Cleo's disappearance, disappearance is urged to contact Crime Stoppers on 1-800-333-000. I really hope and pray that they do find Cleo because all of this kidnapping and all of this abducting and pedophilia, sex offending, trafficking, all of that crap, it needs to stop. We want Cleo home. Once again, I'm really sorry if it was too depressing today, this episode. I do my best to make my episodes as fun as possible, um, making jokes, being sarcastic, and all that stuff, but I don't feel like um, it was the right place to be sarcastic or joking in this episode. I was not expecting to, to read those stories, but I am glad that I am informed of them so that I can form you. So thank you very much for listening, and I will see you in the trenches next time.